What's up, guys? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast. Sam Orlick here. We've got a great episode for you today. Sports Ethos's own Stephen Bagel, host of the Bird Ride Show, has gracefully decided to come on and be a guest today. So without any further ado, we're going to get right into it. Hey, Stephen. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, how's it going, man? It's going well. How about you? Pretty good, pretty good. Can't complain. Steven, thanks for joining me today on the show. Um, before we get into anything Warriors related, I wanted to quickly discuss and break down the big news that just happened about an hour ago, uh, Donovan Mitchell being traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes, um, actually pretty, I don't want to say shocking because nothing is ever really shocking in the NBA, <laughs> but I mean, I have receipts. I've been pretty adamant on the fact that nobody was going to beat the Knicks offer just because of the plethora of picks the Knicks had to offer. But I mean, Shams did just say about an hour ago that the Knicks best offer ended up being two unprotected picks plus RJ Barrett plus Emmanuel quickly. They ended up getting from the Cavs three unprotected picks and two unprotected swaps, which could basically, if the Cavs end up, Mitchell leaves in three years when his deal's done, those swaps could end up being really valuable and end up being very high picks. So they essentially got five unprotected picks for Donovan Mitchell. So I don't honestly know which of the two packages is better. I, I might have leaned towards the Audrey Bowd Emmanuel quickly side, but. I don't think any jazz fans are complaining with what they, what they ended up getting. Yeah. So from a jazz perspective or Cleveland perspective, do you think there's a clear winner in, um, you know, who kind of won the trade? Does it kind of depend what side you're looking on? Obviously Cleveland coming off of a playoff uh, playoff run last season after the plethora of injuries that they experienced, you know, Ricky Rubio, Colin Sexton, Mobley, Allen, um, still making a lot of noise. They have this really, really strong young core. They're looking to make some noise and and kind of make a run for things in the East. But obviously, as you just went into um, all of those picks and pick swaps plus players, it's a lot to give up. Yeah, I mean, it's so tough to gauge in a trade like this who really won because there's so many future assets involved. So it's like, you really need to see what those assets turn into. Um, and it's difficult to gauge because the two teams doing two completely different kinds of things. The Cavs are ready to get back in the playoffs for the first time post LeBron. And the Jazz are obviously, you know, trying to blow it up and really tank for the number one pick this year in Victor Wambayama and in future years. So, uh, I mean, uh, what I will say is that the Jazz did well. I mean, when you saw what they got from Minnesota for Gobert, it kind of set a new precedent for a superstar trade. Because we saw the Paul George trade when he went to the Clippers. We saw Anthony Davis when he went to the Lakers. Those were substantial young talents, four picks and three swaps. Those picks, however, mostly had some kind of protections. Now, all the, and we saw with James Harden when he went to the Nets, same idea. Um and these Gobert and these Mitchell trades are really starting to trump what those Paul George, Anthony Davis, James Harden offers were. So, I mean, the superstar is more valuable than ever, it appears, in the NBA, 
when guys like Mitchell and Gobert, who I don't even classify as, you know, superstars, are going for all of this substantial draft equity and young talents. What, what I will say is that I, I don't love the money the Jazz took on in giving Sexton four for 72 and taking, um, I think it's three for about 54 left of Markkinen. But I, I do believe not all that's guaranteed for Markkinen. And, you know, when, when you're tanking, you're not really going to be in the free agent market anyway. Look at OKC. They just kind of wasted all the cash space this past year. They didn't even make it to the salary floor. So it's not the worst thing to, you know, lock in Sexton who could, and Markkinen who could be future, could, could turn into future assets later down the line in another subsequent trade. Yeah, that's fair. Those are all good points. I definitely agree um, regarding kind of ranking Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell as far as being superstars or not. Um, Gobert, while proven to be, you know, one of the best bigs in the league um, when it comes to, you know, rebounding, rim production, just kind of your traditional big, um, has yet to prove that he can stay on the floor in um, deep playoff runs when he uh, just gets abused in the pick and roll. And then Donovan Mitchell really hasn't proven himself to play both sides of the floor. So I think his off, you know, you look at the two players, Gobert unquestioned, you know, elite shot blocker, rebounder, but, um, you know, he's got some holes in his game. And at least in the postseason, I think regular season, he's a monster. Um, and then Donovan Mitchell, elite offensive game, kind of needs the ball in his hands. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out when you've got um, kind of the budding star in um, in the point guard that they have over there. Is, is Darius Garland. My mind. Yeah, thank you, Darius Garland. And then Donovan Mitchell, can he can he be a net positive defender at the two guard spot, which is probably one of the you know, after point guard, probably the, the second hardest position to defend at. Um, and I kind of mm-hmm. slot him in as like a Bradley Beal type player where, you know, his offense, his offensive abilities are unquestioned, but um, is he able to be a solid defender to help them be, um, you know, a contender in the East? Yeah. And th- there's a few things with Donovan Mitchell. The first was when there was all the speculation that he was going to be a Nick, everyone was, you know, concerned about, the Jalen Brunson, Donovan Mitchell backcourt because it was too small. However, those same people out and hear them saying a thing about the Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell backcourt with how small that is. So that, that's just a little ironic. But Donovan Mitchell, when he came out of college, out of Louisville, he was seen as a very plus defender due to he's only 6'3", but I think he has a 6'10 wingspan. So, and he's very athletic. I mean, he had all the tools to be an elite perimeter defender and that hasn't materialized yet. So I do think he's going to have to um, tap into some of that untapped defensive potential. Really? I know they have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley to really protect the rim and Isaac Okoro, I'm assuming will be the fifth starter because Karis Levertos needs a ball in his hands as well. But Okoro, you know, he'll be the wing stopper. So it's not the biggest concern that Garland and Mitchell both can really defend, but I, I do think Mitchell does have some on tap potential though defensively. Yeah. And I think, you know, it'll be a question for him. What is this a uh, year three, year four for Mitchell? Um, he's still got plenty of room to grow and, you know, you've got Ricky Rubio on that, on that Cavs team, Karis LeVert, who you just mentioned. So there's a lot of different things that they could do rotation wise 
to um, kind of distribute who has the ball in their hands and who's defending which guards. Kind of when you look at what Atlanta's done, um, getting DeJounte Murray to play next to Trey Young, um, you see a lot of teams kind of trying to figure out how are we going to stop elite offenses, uh, elite, you know, opposing teams, elite offense, uh, offensive backcourts, um, the Steph Curry's, the James Harden's, the Kyrie Irving's, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, but some nice news on a otherwise a dull Wednesday in the off season of the NBA. I thought we'd just kind of open things up and, and uh, dissect that a little bit. Um, yeah, definitely. definitely. Definitely shakes things up in the NBA. It's interesting to see, you know, the the star players move around. I like what you've kind of tapped into with regards to calling out like the the price of superstars and teams. You know, you've got teams deciding to blow it up. And I think I've, I've been calling this out on the Utah Jazz. It's like three or four years now they've been, you know, top four in the West, but never able to make any noise in the postseason. And at a certain point, um, you just got to move on. You can't continue to keep being mediocre. You're not getting draft picks if you don't feel like you have a legitimate chance. Um, I think that there was, there's been growing discontent with uh, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, not really pairing well together, playing well together. I think it was really clear in, in this past season how little Donovan Mitchell actually even passed the ball to Gobert. There was some ridiculous stat that like, I think Mitchell averaged two passes per game to Gobert. That's not even yeah. assists. That's just like, yeah, I forget what the exact stat was. It's just but, like stupid. Yeah. Like it was pretty clear they didn't want to play together. So um, you're the jazz. You're looking like the OKC Thunder now with just all of these future picks. But yeah, it remains to be seen if that turns into actual talented players that helps them down the road. But you definitely got a huge haul of assets to work with in the future. If you're the Cavs, you got, you know, your quote unquote all-star guard um, ready to shake things or not shake things up, but ready to kind of gear your team up to compete in the East. The East looks stacked right now. Um, the West got a little bit, a little bit easier, I think. So, yeah, and, but the the one thing with the West is that they definitely got healthier. I mean, Denver has Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. back, so I think they're a contender. The Clippers are definitely a contender. I think they're the biggest threat to the Warriors with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard healthy. So I, I know we'll get into that, but yeah, yeah, I, I think both because so many teams are bottoming out right now. It's just mm-hmm. made you know the top eighteen to twenty teams in the league all that much better. True. Um, interesting, though, when you talk about health, because you've got Porter and Murray, who should be healthy, but coming off of um, surgeries. So, you know, it kind of remains to be seen, just like what we saw Clay Thompson, the rehab he had to go through, and the time it took for him to get right. Um, what does Jamal Murray's path look like before he's playing at a high level? Michael Porter Jr., does the back issue continue to linger? Um, I think similar questions for the Clippers, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, can, uh, even John Wall, um, you know, coming into the season, quote unquote, healthy, but can they stay healthy um, for the Memphis Grizzlies? You've got Jaron Jackson Jr. now um, potentially out for the first half of the season. That'll be interesting to see how how the Grizzlies operate and perform um, without him. Obviously, a really deep team last year that did well with guys out, but um, I think they lost a little bit of depth in free agency, um, just trying to make decisions around around cap space and money, which is we're going to talk about the Warriors. And then uh, Phoenix Suns, you know, Chris Paul, how much does he have left in the tank? Obviously, you know, we saw 
we saw a little bit of father time plugging him in the postseason this last year. So yeah, I think on paper for sure, there's a lot of um, a lot more competition in the West this year. I think there's going to be a lot of question marks though, come postseason time, or even as the postseason goes on, you know, health will and always kind of kind of is the main one of the main contributors to postseason success. You can assemble the best team. Um, or have one of the best regular season teams and position yourself in, with good seeding. But, um, you know, things happen, guys get hurt, uh, whether they're injury prone guys or just freak injuries or whatever. Uh, it's just part of the game. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Yeah, it definitely will. And again, that, that that's something you can't really predict. You could assemble the best team in the league and if the injury bug gets you, there's not much, there's nothing you could do about it. I mean, I mean, Sure, there are some analytics to project how healthy a guy is going to be based off his history. But again, as you said, freak things happen and it's tough to, it's impossible to predict, actually. Yeah, right. You have guys like Clay Thompson who are considered like Iron Man playing like three, four years without injury and then boom. Um, one serious injury, they're in the middle of rehab, another one happens, and then it's like 900 days without playing ball. Um, Paul George was kind of the same story, right? Another guy who played three, four years without really getting hurt. And then, you know, now at this point of his career, it's like two, three years in a row. Um, he has some type of, of injury that holds him out for a few months. Yep. Boogie Cousins, another one. I know he's a big body guy and big men are a lot more susceptible to injuries because of how much weight they're carrying on them. But Boogie Cousins was a brick wall. Then all of a sudden he tore that Achilles with a few seconds left in that game he probably shouldn't have been in. And then it was the ACL and then it was this, and it, he hasn't, you know, that, that was really the beginning of the end for him. Right. And then, you know, look on the flip side of that, talking about the Warriors, you've got Kavon Looney who throughout the first like five years of his career, poor guy just could not make it mm. through a season healthy. And then this past year he played in every single regular season and postseason game, 105 games, just absolutely mm-hmm. incredible story there. Yeah. And you know, I, that might have some to do with, not like he ever really played a heavy minute load to begin with, but the Warriors have done with how much they pay small ball, have done a phenomenal job with, you know, managing his minutes. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the Warriors here. Um, now that we've kind of hit on the, uh, the current news and uh, kind of a look at the West and, and some competition. Um a lot of new faces, a lot of young faces on this Warriors team. Obviously, you've still got the core, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, um, Andrew Wiggins, Kavon Looney, Jordan Poole, and then losing Otto Porter Jr., Gary Payton II. Um, you lost kind of the end of the end of the rotation guys, but kind of glue guys in uh, Juan Toscano Anderson and Damian Lee, and you replace them with uh, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, the draft picks of last year, James Wiseman, who you could kind of still classify as a rookie, even though it's going to be his third season. He's only really played like 40 games. Um, and then Dante DiVincenzo, Jamichael Green, the free, the um, new free agents that came in this year, and then the new draft picks, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Ryan Rawlings. So... Um, Give me your thoughts real quick on uh, what you think the Warriors did in a free agency and, and how you kind of 
feel like this team has either um, improved, stayed the same, or maybe taken a step back um, with those uh, losses and additions? As you just said, they, they really did keep their top six, seven, let's say maybe, let's say top six guys together with a seventh guy in DiVincenzo replacing Gary Payton in the seconds. Um, and, and I do think Jermichael Green could be that 10 to 15 minute guy off the bench. Maybe not as good as Otto Porter given his age, but not terrible for a minimum by any means. So I, I suppose to answer your question, I, I think they got a hair bit worse just because they did lose a little bit of depth, but nothing that, you know, it's not going to deter them from competing for another championship. Um, they, they all, and I know we're getting, we're going to get into fi- the financials here in a bit, but given that they have the largest luxury tax bill in NBA history, it's difficult to keep the whole band together every year. So I, I think given that they had to, they, Otto Porter, they never were going to resign. They didn't have his bird rights. So unless they wanted to give him the full taxpayer MLA, that was the only way that they, they had a shot of keeping him. They ended up giving that to DiVincenzo because they had to replace Gary Payton in the seconds, who they only had early bird rights on. So they, they, they lost two guys that honestly, they didn't have a great chance at retaining anyway. Um, maybe a Portland didn't get paid in what they did. Maybe they could have kept him, but Realistically, they, they lost two guys they didn't really have team control over and, you know, brought the rest of the band back together. So uh, even though they might have got a hell worse, I do consider this offseason as a W for the dubs. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and I know a lot of Warriors fans out there are pretty upset about the GP2 um, loss. He was definitely a fan favorite. Just so much energy and electricity with him on the floor um but for a guy turning 29 who you know got a three-year deal from portland um that that difference in what the warriors offered which was like a two uh two year six million a year deal um and i think he got three for 30 for 28 or 29 from portland i think it was like a ended up would have costing the warriors an extra 50 million compared to the um yeah to uh um, two-year, nine million dollar deal that they got with uh, DiVincenzo. So I understand it. I think that it was also like an opportunity thing. Um, you're you need to play these young guys. You need to create opportunity to see what Moses Moody can do, um, Jonathan Kaminga, and um, GP two. Obviously, he was taking a lot of that space um, and opportunity away from those kinds of guys as well. So I think that there were a few different. A few different things going on there, um, but man, it's gonna hurt losing GP two. It's gonna be sad if uh, Portland goes on to make the playoffs, having to face Portland in the playoffs and play against him. Um, but obviously, wishing him the best. He got his first payday, you know, for a guy who's just been working so hard on uh, ten days, two way deals, whatever for four or for five years, years and, for and a finally, long time. finally getting paid. So good for him. I got no ill will towards him taking taking the money and basically his last chance to get paid yeah definitely as you said already going to be 29 years old so this probably was his one and only significant payday so never going to fault a guy for that um and warriors fans i know you said team fans are more upset because he's a fan favorite i I understand that but I, i mean how much the ridiculous payroll that 
um, Lacob is willing to pay. I mean, it, it's him and Steve Ballmer, the, Cl- the Clippers owner, they're, they're giving their team such an advantage. Like paying this steep into the luxury tax is the biggest competitive advantage in the sport. And we've seen that with, you know, four championships in eight years and six finals appearances in eight years. Yeah. That, that means something. And that, that demonstrates that, you know, how big of a competitive advantage that, that is. So let me ask you a question. What do you, how do you feel about the repeater tax being applied to teams that are just trying to pay to keep the guys that they've drafted? Cause I understand the concept of not overpaying to bring in free agents um, which obviously, you know, Gary Payton II was a, technically a free agent. Um, but when you look at most of this roster right now for the Warriors, um, the only players who were not drafted were on the current roster are um, Andrew Wiggins, Dante DiVincenzo, and Jamichael Green. Yep. You've got 11 guys on this team that were drafted. Um do you feel like it's reasonable to take a look at those rules and and maybe the repeater tax should not be as as hefty um, of a fine for for teams that are just trying to retain the guys that they've drafted, especially in the conversation of looking at some of these future teams like OKC or the Utah Jazz who've acquired all of these picks. You know, what does this kind of what kind of framework does this lay out for the future, the next, you know, 10 to 15 years in the NBA um, for these teams that are looking for the next Steph Curry or looking for the next Clay Thompson. But then even if you draft perfectly for, for three, four, five years, you eventually can't keep everyone on your team because you can't afford them. I mean, yes and no. I, I mean, it, it does get, I see what you're saying. It definitely gets confusing in the aspect of, the repeater tax makes it more difficult to retain your guys. But as long as you have bird rights on your guys and you're winning, as long as you know you don't have a cheap owner, which odds off you're competing for a championship like the Warriors are, you're going to be willing to pay it to, you know, you have your guys' bird rights, you're going to bring them back. Why wouldn't you? And, you know, so I feel like they kind of go hand in hand with, okay, you have your guys' bird rights, so you could retain him. But on the other hand, are you going to be willing to pay him because of the repeater tax? So it. Maybe you could explain real quick for the listeners what's the significance of bird rights? Okay. So bird rights basically are when a guy signs more than a two year deal. So let's say a three year, you sign a guy to a three year deal. You could go over the cap, even if you're. Even if you have no cap space, you could retain your guy as long as you have his bird rights. And again, you acquire his bird rights by drafting him or drafting him in the first round. First round picks, you automatically get the bird rights, assuming you pick up the team options. Um, But if you sign a guy for three years, you get his bird rights, you could go over the cap to sign him. So if that guy's traded, you could trade for his bird rights as well. So just because you trade for a guy that's on a three-year deal, it doesn't mean you don't get it. You still do, which the Warriors haven't really had that issue. Cause as you said, all the guys are homegrown, all 11 guys that they've drafted are actually that you said that on team drafted, they've never even been on another roster. Right. So I, I mean, the, but then when, so you're looking good at, at retaining but then guys, when you're looking at the and, repeater tax, you're, you're basically for the Warriors. Now they're basically paying, Seven million for every million that they spend. Yes. Tax. And then you look at a guy like James Wiseman, who's making um, 
you know, nine and a half million upwards to 10 million a year. And he's only played 40, 40 games. And I think we're going to be talking about Wiseman a lot on today's pod. How do you justify keeping him um, if he doesn't look good this season when you've got guys like Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole who are extension eligible and are really already proven? Yeah. I mean, as I said, I I think the best way to explain it is that the, um, the repeater tax basically negates bird rights to try to prevent super teams from happening. Cause now, you know, there's the, it's weird. The, the most recent CBA, and I think they'll have to work out a few kinks in the CBA when um, the contract's up in a few years, because now that there's a Supermax contract, which a Supermax is basically, if you make an all NBA team, you win MVP, you win defensive player of the year, you're eligible for a, th- a max contract worth 35% of the cap. But you have to sign that with your current team. You can't sign that with another team. So the Supermax was implemented for guys to to try to keep guys in the smaller markets like Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio, Anthony Davis staying with the Pelicans. That ended up not happening. So the Supermax didn't really do what it was implemented to do. Mm-hmm. So I suppose the repeat attack, it, it does conflict with, as I said, the Supermax. That's why I think they're going to have to work out the kinks in it. Yeah. In the CBA. But I suppose they want, guys to stay in smaller markets. So they implemented the Supermax, but the repeater tax is trying to prevent the larger markets from being willing to keep paying the tax to, I guess, to keep equity in the NBA and not have all the large market teams that are owned by the richer owners dominate it. Yeah. But it really hasn't prevented them. I mean, Lake has been willing to pay. Steve Ballmer is so rich. He could buy all 29 other NBA teams and still, you know, have billions left over like he's that rich so i i mean that that's why it's like i already lost my thought of where i'm going with it but that that, that would definitely have to be worked out in the new cba for sure yeah no i mean it all makes sense it's just unfortunate for the warriors the way that things played out or are playing out or will play out in the future when you look at here here you have this team as you just said in the last eight years um six finals appearances and four rings, um, all of this talent, all homegrown. And it would be, it would be a shame to see um, Jordan Poole walk away or Andrew Wiggins walk away um, because, you know, the Warriors, the Warriors uh, cap and luxury tax are going to eclipse 400 million. Where Um, it would get difficult is let's see in 25, 26, in the 2025-2026 season, that's the last year of Steph Curry's deal. He's making $60 million in that year. Right. Figure you re-sign multiple of Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and Jordan Poole. Let's say you sign, you're able to retain three to four of them. They'll all be under contract through then. Let's say you retain two of James Wiseman, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, and you have to sign them to substantial rookie extensions. Then you're looking at... I, I don't know the numbers they'd be signed to, so I can't do the math, but you're looking at like a $600 million payroll, <laughs> which is bonkers. Well, I think when we're talking 25, 26, um, I think, be a you know, TV if you deal in place, yes, that is true. Um, but I don't think you're going to, I don't think Clay Thompson's going to be making 40 million a year. I don't no. think Draymond Green's going to be making 25 million a year, although he wants more than that now. Uh, I think it's more 
Andrew Wiggins is going to be making money. Uh, Jordan Poole is going to be making money. And uh, depending on how good Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, you know, that, that rookie class of last year, you know, any of those guys might be, you know, in uh, due for, for a nice uh, extension, as you kind of pointed out. But, um, you know, Curry, I think, I think it's safe to assume Curry's locked and loaded as a warrior for the rest of his career. I think um, Curry's got a lot left in the tank, um, turning 35 this season and this upcoming season, but just the way that he takes care of his body and approaches everything. He's so competitive. He's one of the best conditioned athletes in the game. Um, I'm not worried about Steph Curry. Sure, you know, athleticism might take a hit, but the way that he plays with IQ and skill and just the the attention that he requires other teams to pay him because of his range, I think he's going to be an offensive weapon for a long time. Um, I think the real questions are like Clay Thompson, is he willing to take less money? Draymond Green, you know, he... Draymond Green's only getting 25 million a year when we talk about uh, Curry getting paid 48 and Thompson getting paid 40. So from Green's perspective, he kind of feels like he just took a pay cut in his last deal. Um, Obviously, Steph Curry, Draymond Green are the two most important players on this team. Uh, Clay Thompson's a close, a close third and uh, Andrew Wiggins, a close fourth, but it's tough to consider giving Draymond even equal money to what he's getting paid now for an extension where he's really kind of on a downward trajectory as far as what he can offer for the Warriors um, and what his body is able to provide. Obviously, unquestioned IQ on the floor. He is the leader um, of the defense. Um, And, you know, you can see that he's lost a little bit of a step in athleticism and explosiveness. He's not the rim protector that he was four or five years ago, uh, being able to block shots. But even so, you know, we saw in this finals, he was able to take Jalen Brown out of out of rhythm in that in that finals matchup against the Celtics. Um, he still has, you know, immense value to this team, unquestioned, especially if if Andre Iguodala decides to retire. You're really looking at Draymond Green to once again be general of this defense so you need him 100 you can't let him walk but at the same time for a guy that doesn't provide much offensively it's tough to look at paying him you know even continuing to pay him 25 million a year um, for another three four years as he gets into the second half and, and later half of his 30s yeah And let's talk about the financials for Draymond. As you mentioned, Anthony Slater, the athletic basically reported Draymond wants a max extension and not a penny less. And honestly, a player like Draymond, I do believe with how players get paid in today's game. Sure. He, he could, he deserves that. But again, the issue is his age. Um, He has a player option in 23, 24. So this is the last guaranteed year deal of the, the last guaranteed year of his deal. So yep. he could opt out after the season and test free agency yep. if, he, if he doesn't sign an extension. So the extension he's eligible for is four for $138 million, which basically his player options for $27.5 for next year. That starting salary of the extension, the four for $138, would only be $3.4 million higher. So it'd be $31 million to start. Okay. Um, to start that contract. So that's not a big deal. If you're paying him an extra three and a half million dollars and 23, 24, that's no big deal. But then 
times seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it would that and the fact that it's going to go up with 5% raises each year for three preceding years after that. So if Draymond chooses to opt out of his player option, sign that extension, if you include this upcoming season, he'd be locked in for five years, $164 million. And the last year of his deal, he would be 37 years old. So that's, that's tough, man. That's it's tough. tough. And there's I mean, he's that- worth the money. It's tough because he's worth the money, right? When you're in the finals or you're in the playoffs, you need a guy like Draymond. He's yeah, the okay. instigator. He's the dirty work guy. He's the guy that other teams hate, right? He's He gets fiery. He yells at the officials. I think he's toned down the technicals and, and stuff a little bit over the last few years, which has been nice. You know, this past season, there was no, like, is he going to get suspended for reaching, um, you know, for reaching the the quota on technicals in the regular season or in the playoffs. But, but at the same time, he goes games where, you know, two points, four points, zero points, um, you know, over four from three. Um, so there are holes to his game, but at the same time, he's like the perfect complement to Stephen Curry and he can, you can put the ball in his hands and he'll find the open man. So incredible value for the warriors and a great fit. Um, do you think there would be another team that would be interested in Draymond Green at that price tag um, or extension price tag that we're kind of thinking about that, that he might actually get interest from someone else at a, at a four for 138 deal. You know, the team I'm about to say, I think is going to shock most people. Um, Draymond, I think not as much recently, but when Draymond first became Draymond and like started making all-star teams and kind of when he took over for the starting role from David Lee, when the Warriors mm-hmm. won the first championship, mm-hmm. everyone's saying, oh, the Warriors system made Draymond Green. He wouldn't be this good on any other team. He just found the perfect role for him. I think over the years, again, I don't hear that chirping as much anymore. But I think Draymond, out of the guys between Draymond, Wiggins, and Paul, the pending upcoming free agents, I think Draymond's the most likely to leave. And the team I think that he would want to go to, and I think they'd have mutual interest in him, again, probably going to shock most people, but it would be the Detroit Pistons. He went to Michigan State. He grew up in Michigan. He's always said he would love to play for the Pistons at some point. The Pistons have about $60 million in cap space next year. And, you know, he's going to give them that veteran leader, show these guys how to win. By then, Cade Cunningham will be going to his third year. They'll have um, Sadiq Bey could take a jump at that point. They have Jalen Doran and Isaiah Stewart. They had Jaden Ivey will be coming off his rookie year. So maybe at that point, the Pistons, yeah, you know, maybe not exactly. forwards and centers, yeah. centers over there in Detroit. Yeah, so it's a little clunky of a fit, but... I do think that would be like the dark horse. Interesting. Too. Interesting yeah. take. Yeah. I like that. I was thinking Lakers because Draymond Green. The, La- the buddy, Lakers buddy, will buddy, have buddy max buddy cap LeBron. space as well. Yeah. If assuming they decide Westbrook walk and don't make any subsequent trades to add additional salary, yeah. they will have max cap space, which I'm assuming they would go after Kyrie Irving with, but I- I'm actually prepping for a Lakers pot I'm doing this weekend. Okay. And, um, <laughs> I do have Draymond as the number two target on that list. I just don't know what they would do. Like, cause AD doesn't really ever want to play the five and right. he's obviously questionable really- fit for sure. Yeah. But just from a personality standpoint, you know. Oh yeah. No, I much. think Draymond on the Lakers would be a hell of a lot of fun too. Yeah. Um, 
Man, that's so tough because obviously without Draymond Green, um, James Wiseman's unproven yet to make it through a whole season. You've got Kevon Looney who just played 105 games, but it's yet to be seen if is that an outlier or is that the norm? And then that's it. You got Jermichael Green, but there's no front court. And then you've I got, think... you've so got Patrick even... Baldwin Jr. Who's like, I think, a, kind of like an up and coming Kevon Looney. You know, you're looking at a guy who came off an injury, but a ton of upside. But there's, yeah. so, there's a lack of true um, forward center depth there for the Warriors. I don't think they're going to lock up Draymond until they see what Jonathan Kaminga does this year. Totally. If Jonathan Kaminga plays like the seventh pick in the draft, and again, that's not his fault at all. I mean, he didn't really get the opportunity to play with how loaded this Warriors team is. But if Kaminga can show he's ready to step into that starting four role, play some on the wing, play a little bit of small ball five, do a little bit of everything, be very versatile like Draymond was. I mean, he's only 20 years old, but he does have experience in the G League as well. So he's kind of going into his third professional season rather than his second, if you count his G League Ignite year. Yeah. So I do think if Kaminga does take a large, a huge step forward, the writing could be on the wall for Draymond as much. And he's a Warriors legend. Don't get me wrong. This isn't, I'm not disparaging Draymond Green at all, but I think they might wait it out. And then if Kaminga isn't what they expect him to be this year and doesn't take that huge jump, then yeah, maybe you resign Draymond, but why rush it now? When, if you resign Draymond and then Kaminga has a huge year playing in the limited role that I have, then it's like, okay, now what do you do? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, for the trio of Wiggins, Draymond, and Poole, I don't think the Warriors do anything this year with those three. I think that they want to get a long look at all these young players. Um, they'd like to see Kaminga take that step forward, as you just mentioned. Even so, Kaminga's shown very little promise defensively, <laughs> quite honestly, I think. Which is most... ironic because he was supposed to be a pretty good defensive player. Right. <laughs> but a lot you know, of rookies, it... rookies always struggle defensively. So True, true. So I actually think if Kaminga, if Kaminga balls out, they might, they might um, re-sign Wiggins and then try and sign and trade Wiggins. Um, yeah, that's rather, a possibility. Rather than Draymond. Because I just think, I think the Draymond, because here's the thing, the, where the Warriors are unlocked is you put the ball in Draymond Green's hands and you take Steph Curry off the ball. And even if Jonathan Kaminga takes a step forward, Steve Kerr's never been the type of coach to trust young players. That that comes earned um, with overtime and experience. And if the Warriors want to win now, they don't have three years to wait for Kaminga to develop into an elite two-way player who can also handle the ball. So while I definitely think for a future outlook, Jonathan Kaminga could certainly grow into that type of role. Um, and it, you know, the Warriors are trying to do this, you know, to, you know, dual path of win now and develop. I think that um, they would most likely hold on to Draymond Green to try and win now and bite the bullet on somebody like Andrew Wiggins, whose value is arguably at its highest of any point in his career and use that as a trade chip um, next year, assuming that Wiggins continues that forward trajectory from what we saw um, in the regular season and more importantly in the postseason. Yeah. And I mean, there was some chirping going on that the first few games of the finals that Wiggins was going to win finals MVP. I mean, he, I, yeah, he, I don't know. He, he was going bonkers. Yeah. I don't know if the Warriors truly unlock something in him that Minnesota wasn't able to. 
But if he's going to play like this, you can't, you can't afford to let him walk. So let, let's look at the Wiggins money real quick. He's eligible for a four-year, $146 million extension, which is basically $33.5 million annually. That money, if they sign to that, would cost the Warriors $280 million in tax payments just for Wiggins. <laughs> so this is where, you know, things start getting a little bit ridiculous. And this isn't even right. factoring, resigning, and Draymond and Jordan Poole. Right. Clay, I don't think they're going to do anything with yet. The Warriors have never had the philosophy of extending a guy who has two years left on his deal. They they never even done that with Steph Curry. Right. Steph, they did it when he had one year left. So it's going to be very fascinating to see how this plays out with potentially Wiggins, Draymond, and Paul off the agents this summer. So I, um, I think Wiggins is the most likely to take a pay cut of those three, of uh, Wiggins, Draymond, and Poole. He is the least... Um, kind of outgoing, flamboyant of those three. He was a former number one pick, so he's already had a nice payday. Um, and I think more than any, or you know, more than any of those guys, he wants to be a warrior. He's been looking for a home. He's dealt with all of this criticism, being in Minnesota, former number one pick, not living up to the hype, blah blah blah. And now he's experiencing all of this success. I mean, I think Wiggins would be happy taking you know, somewhere in the mid twenties, if that meant staying on the warriors rather than hitting the market and trying to get cash in for another max deal or max extension. Yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely fair. Um, but obviously he's worth the max after yeah. how he played. All, all I mean, these, all these guys, did. every single guy we're talking about, Draymond Wiggins, Jordan Paul, they are all worth the max every single one, but what you can't, it, it, I mean, I guess theoretically you can't as you have the bird rights, but I mean, are you really going to have six, seven guys maybe if you extend Kuminga and Moody later on? Yeah. So it's interesting because at the end of the 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 season, Bob Myers was saying a lot of, um, we're going to pay guys what they deserve to be paid. Uh, You know, Joe and I don't want to break this team up. Um, You know, we're not worried about the tax, blah, blah, blah. And they made it seem like they were going to bring everyone back. Obviously, then they let Otto Porter Jr. and GP2 go. Um, and then you got Lacob coming out after the fact saying, well, 400 is kind of the line and, and the NBA is not going to let me spend more than that. It's already kind of, you know, I'm already getting a lot of shit from them for how much I'm spending now. And so you've got these very different narratives coming out and, you know, Warriors front office has been doing this for a while, just a lot of smoke screen, whatever, whatever. Um, and it's fine. I think in today's NBA, there's definitely strategy going on with the, you know, what you tell the public, how you, how you release news about your players' injuries. And that, that's a whole completely different conversation for another time. But it is interesting in the NBA today with social media and everything, how information is communicated compared to how it was, you know, say 10, 15 years ago, where everything was a lot more straightforward. Um, but sure, Lacob could pay 500 million a year, 600 million and, and keep all these guys, you know, because like you said, we have all their bird rights. Um, but I also get the sense that he probably isn't going to do that based on the comments he's made. And it's going to yeah. have to be pick and choose a little bit or trade. Yeah. And as you, you keep referring to Lake said, I believe it was on Tim Bontemps podcast from ESPN that he'll spend up to $400 million. He doesn't care. The Warriors have the biggest tax bill ever right now. And in total between the cap, Role and the tax bill, they're paying about $346 million. So they still have, even with the largest bill in history, $54 million to go. That's still relatively 
substantial amount of money. I know with the repeat tax, it's not $54 million you can spend on one guy. I get that. But a guy takes a pay cut here or there. They make one trade to get off of James Wiseman if they need to. If he doesn't produce, then all of a sudden, they're bringing the band back together. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, what I'm The one guy I think that's actually going to have to take the biggest pay cut is Jordan Poole. And that's just because not only is he the most unproven, given that he just had a breakout year now, but he's eligible for five for 188, which is 38 million a year for his rookie ascension, which is he's not going to get that. I mean, he's a favorite to win six man of the year this upcoming year. That, that, that's a great role for him. The issue is, and I think he was exposed a little bit in the playoffs, he's not going to be able to play substantial minutes next to Steph Curry just because of the liability he is on the defensive end. And uh, I mean, um, a guy from San Francisco Chronicle, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name, Connor Letora, Letorna. He said he expects Paul to go in about the five for a hundred million dollar range. So that's about 20 million a year. I think that's a fair value for him. Yeah. For a guy you look at the Anthony yeah. Simons, Jalen Brunson comparison, but I put Poole uh, a step ahead, both of those guys. But yeah, I think that's about what to expect. And I think it's four, four for a hundred. Yeah. So I, I mean, he's, I think the biggest guy that's going to have to take a pay cut. And Again, I mean, do you really need him when you have Clay and Wiggins and Moody and obviously Steph? I mean, 100%. Yeah, look what happened when Steph Curry went down. He is the most important, not most important. He is one of the most important players on this team because you look at his age, you look at what he's done. Steph Curry goes down for 30 games, no problem. You start Jordan Poole, he puts up 25 points per game. Um, Last season in April, in March and April, Poole made more three-pointers than anybody else in the league. He uh, shot 50, the, 40, 90 in the playoffs. Yeah, shot 50, 40, 90 in the playoffs, despite, you know, having ups and downs. He struggled, you know, up against the athletic Celtics. So 100% you need pool on this roster. Um, and you well, saw again, why the Warriors have struggled so much when Steph Curry's off the floor because exactly. you don't have anybody who can come exactly. in and score. And Jordan Poole's already proven, you need me to start, I'll do the work. You need me to come off the bench, I'll do the work. And for such a young guy who's been, um, the coaching staff's been saying that since, um, since the pandemic, uh, Poole's been in the gym more than anybody else on the team. And so, yeah, he's definitely got some holes in his game to fix and shore up, but you'd expect with his continued improvement, um, and he has some size. He's not undersized by any means for his position. Um, he puts on some weight. He works on his, um, his lateral movements. Uh, he might, you know, he might not be such a liability on defense. We'll see. I think this season will be really important, as you said, or if he can take that next that next step forward, we already know what he can do on offense. I think he's unquestioned, three level score, highly elite offensive um, guard. He you know combo guard. He can be a point guard, two guard, and it's just a question of his defense. But he is a very important piece to this team because Steph Curry is going to rest, Clay Thompson's going to rest, and um, you're going to need you're going to need somebody who can step in seamlessly and and take over and run with the team. And Jordan Poole's your guy right now. Yeah, and again, I unfortunately for him think he's going to have to be the guy to take the pay cut, but he is a restricted free agent, so I think the Warriors almost have to extend him because he's going to get a max somewhere. So if he gets a max somewhere and you don't want to sign and trade him, you're not going to get fair value for him if you sign and trade him. In restricted free agency, you never do. Um, You have to extend him because he's going to get a max from someone with, I mean, 
there's, I think, four tanking teams right now with 60 plus million dollars in space. And that's San Antonio, that's Indiana, that's Detroit, and that's Houston. It wouldn't shock me. Well, Detroit would shock me because they already have Ivy and Cunningham. But I, I preface that to say I, somebody's going to give him a max contract and you're going to have to match it. So I, I think he's the most likely to get an extension out of the three of them just because even though you could retain him, it's he's the one that you have to get at a bargain discounts. So what do you think an ex- in a, a um, compromised extension would look like that Jordan Poole would be happy with? Because he probably knows he's max he's max worthy as a restricted free agent. Yeah. Um, so, but slightly cheaper than the max, enough that he would accept to stay with the Warriors. I think if they offer him five for, let's say... 115 that should be about 23 million dollars a year that's a lot of money to say no to for a guy who before this year looked like a g-league player i mean it's i'm a sixers fan and i think tyrese maxi was should have definitely been a candidate for most improved player but most improved players should go to the player that really went from a bench player to borderline nba player to like a serviceable like there was no reason Jordan Poole shouldn't have won most improved player in my opinion from the steps that he took from he was the worst three point shooter percentage wise his rookie year his second year he wasn't that good and he looked like quite frankly a good G League player but not an NBA player and then he just exploded on the scene this year I mean I think it was a crime and again not I'm not disparaging John Morant he's a superstar but I mean, again, I, I know I'm just sounding like a real record at this point. Jordan Poole should have absolutely won most improved player. And a guy like that who you know is going to work hard to keep getting better, that's a guy you're going to want to keep around. And with Clay Thompson, I pray Clay Thompson could be Clay Thompson. But he's getting up there in age. Yet he's coming off a torn Achilles and a torn ACL, and he looked good this year. But he's not going to be able to move off ball the way he did pre-injury. And that's still a concern to me. So you got to keep Paul around. I think you got to keep Wiggins around. And Draymond, as much as I would like to keep him around, uh, I do think eventually Kaminga could go into that role. So to make a long story short, Paul is absolutely essential. Even if it's a six-man for the next few years, I'm comfortable paying him what I say, five for 115. That's $23 million a year. I I think Paul would be content with that. Okay. And same thing, Wiggins, I'll throw out there. I think 26 ish million a year. So let's say that's four for 104. And Draymond says he wants the max. We'll have to see what they do with him. But Draymond, I could see them giving him maybe a max for like three years instead of the four. I'm not sure what they'll do with him, but. They, they got to be conscious, figure either Moody or Kaminga or Wiseman, one of those three will be worthy of a rookie extension. And you're going to have to pay them in a few years too. Yeah, right. So, so I, I would say between, I think Paul would definitely stay because I think he's definitely going to take a pay cut. And I think between Wiggins and Draymond, you definitely keep one. But keeping all three is going to be really tough. Um, I, I, it's definitely not impossible with how, how willing the Warriors have been over the years to pay the tax. But it might have to get to a point where Wiggins and Draymond both might have to agree to a pay cut less than the max 
in order for them to both be time. Well, I think this last player here that we have to talk about might play a lot into that, and that's James Wiseman, who's owed um, 9.6 this season and then 12 million in 23-24, but that's the team option. See, I've never been a big James Wiseman guy, so I'm honestly biased, if you ask me. Um, <laughs> that's okay. I'm very big on the NBA. Obviously, you know, I'm the front office guy, so... The draft plays a role in that. I, I'm big on college. I'm huge. On, I'm a huge college basketball fan, but I, I do the scouting as well. I make my big board. I do all that. In that 20, what was that? 2019 class, whatever year Wiseman was with Anthony Edwards yeah. and Lamelo. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was actually eighth or ninth on my big board. So, and it was more so based off tools rather than what he already displayed at Memphis. Mm-hmm. So, I. I honestly always thought Lamelo should have went one and Anthony Edwards should have went two to Golden State. Mm-hmm. And that would have been, if they ended up with either Anthony Edwards or Lamelo, I can't even imagine how good the Warriors, I mean, like it, it would literally be unfair. Hmm. Um, I actually think it's, it's good how things played out because I think that um, Jordan Poole is a better player than um, Lamelo. And I think that you look at what um, Lamelo does right now as a starter he needs the ball in his hands and he gets all this attention and and all this freedom to do whatever he wants and then you look at what Jordan Poole's had to do to work for it um and how he's much more willing to come off the bench and and be a role player but then step into a role when he's called upon Um, I think if you compare those two guys and the value that they bring to their teams I think I'd um Right. I think, you know, going back to the 1920 draft, I think, yeah, a lot of people were like, what the heck did we do taking Wiseman over LaMelo in that first year? But I think now that it's a few years later and we've got Jordan Poole, um, we wouldn't have been able to develop Jordan Poole if we had selected LaMelo Ball. And what does that rotation look like? Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, LaMelo Ball. Um, you know, and I don't think... Draymond probably. Um, Draymond at the five. Yeah, but Lamelo has yet to prove that he's a, a positive defender, you know, in his own right. So no, that's fair. But, but that's kind of an aside. So yeah, so you didn't have Wiseman that high, and that's fair. Um, I think you know Warriors swing for the fence, you know, on the big man because that's what they've been lacking for so long since you know Andrew Bogut retired. Is I'll uh, say this. Big. Yeah, I'll say this. Out of the three between. Uh, let's say the four, because Paul still has to sign his rookie extension. Between Paul, Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman, I would rank Wiseman last as the most likely to get an extension. A uh, rookie yeah. extension, that is. Um, Paul, I think, definitely will. And Kaminga and Moody, obviously, they just came off a of rookie, so Jerry's still out. But I could see Kaminga developing into, like, being mentored by Draymond into that kind of role, like a bigger wing-type guy. And Moody, I see as a good three and D that even if he doesn't get a max rookie extension, I could see them doing like a four for 60, four for 56 type deal with him. And then that's when he really breaks out on that second deal. Um, Wiseman, I just, I, again, I'm biased. I just, a big man who's so stiff. He's an old school big man. Can't really, he could pass a little bit, but he can't shoot. To oh, he steps out and shoots the three. Yeah, he, he has a little bit. He definitely showed that his rookie year in the few games that he played. He didn't do it at all in college. So I will give you that. He did um expand his range during then. But he looks like well, he's more willing to shoot outside shots than he is to, to power it into the paint. Honestly, when we watch when I watched him play 
um, in the few games he's played as a rookie mm-hmm. and uh, at least in, in summer league this past year, uh, he looks really comfortable shooting um, spot up threes or long twos. And then most of the time when he gets the ball in the paint or he gets an offensive rebound, unless he's already at the rim, he'd rather settle for like a fadeaway or like a jump hook than like a one dribble power move to the rim. And so that's, I think the criticism on him right now is the Warriors have all this shooting and sure you want a guy to be able to, uh, to space out a little bit um, and not be one dimensional, but I think they'd like to have more of an inside presence with him um, for him to really be that guy and take that step forward, which he had, you know, which he's yet to really show. Yeah, and the Warriors are a prime example of wing depth means so much in the NBA. I mean, obviously, you know, they they kind of invented this whole small ball space and pace thing that everyone else is trying to replicate now. But right. center is really the most replaceable position in the NBA. I mean, look at Kevon Looney. He's completely adequate at $7 million a year, and he could win a championship. He wins you a championship. He helps you win a championship, rather. But how um, many Kevon Looney's are there in the league? Very few. How many big men can you feel comfortable to switch on to Jalen Brunson and keep him in front and not foul him and, and stay down for a guy that doesn't have athleticism to, to defend the rim? I mean, there's Bam on the bio, who's a way more expensive version of that, but, but, you, but I, I understand it's a very, it's a very unique skill set of high IQ body control, um, you know, for, for, so I agree that center is the most replaceable, but to have a, you know, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, Rudy Gobert and his holes in his game, this elite rim protector, you know, 15, 15 and 10, double, double machine, two, three blocks game, but come playoff time gets played off the floor because he can't um, close out in the pick and roll and defend the three point line. And that's why Kavon Looney and Draymond Green are so valuable to the Warriors and arguably why the Warriors have been so successful and have such good defenses is because they're able to switch everything and they don't give up. um, They don't give up anything on the defensive end. Okay. So let's say this, just for me to try to reiterate the point I'm trying to make. Kevon Looney was a starting center for this year's Warriors who won it all. The year before that, it was Brooke Lopez the year before that, it was approved Dwight Howard on that Lakers bubble championship. Mm-hmm. Um, Toronto, when they won, I, I don't remember exactly who they had, but Marcus Toronto Hall, hasn't had a I think. Yeah, oh, yes, it was Marcus All. Um, an older Marcus All who wasn't really Marcus All anymore. Then right. the two years before that, it was Golden State with Looney. Before that, it was a Cavs with Tristan Thompson. Before that, it was a Warriors with Andrew Bogut. So I, I preface that to say, notice there's no Joel Embiid's or Nikola Jokic's. Yeah, no, or, I get, I see it's, that it's point. All, yeah, it's all centers that aren't in max guys. That it's role players. Exactly. Right. That if point I agree with you there. Wings, I guess I'm just saying yeah. that it's it's really important to have a big who can switch because you saw what Houston tried to do a few years ago, which didn't work out successfully when they traded Capella and went all small. But you see. You know, not all the teams because you've got like Cleveland doubling up with the Twin Towers with Mobley and Jared Allen. You've got Minnesota going Towns and and Cat or uh, Gobert and Cat. Um, But having a big who can switch onto guards is such an advantage um, when you're trying to make a deep postseason run. But that's a separate point from what you're saying, which is how many teams that have won the NBA champions in the last seven or eight years have had their best player be their center. Again, I, I'm a Sixers fan. I love Joel Embiid, but 
I'm just saying from the last eight years, center is the most replaceable position. And it seems at this point in time, the least important position in the NBA. Wing depth is key. You need to have guards who could dribble, pass, and shoot. I mean, there's just a recipe, it seems like, for recent NBA success. And an elite center is not one of them. So I'm just saying that to preface, Wiseman should not be a priority over Kaminga, Moody, or Paul. That, that's the only point I'm trying to make. I, I love okay. Joel Embiid. Nikola Jokic is obviously a two-time back-to-back MVP. I'm not disparaging those guys, but center just overall in the landscape of the NBA th- recently, wing depth is key. Big wings are definitely key, a guy like Kaminga. You could get away with small ball. Centers usually, again, are the most replaceable position that there is. And yeah. again, the Warriors... With Kevon Looney, uh, it, it works. It's a recipe for success. I just don't think James Wiseman is going to be that type of guy. Yeah, best, you know, maybe the best case scenario is James Wiseman either two scenarios. One, he's healthy, but he's just trash. It doesn't mm-hmm. look good, even in a backup role off the bench. And the Warriors decide to just let him go. They try and trade him for you know, pennies on the dollar, whatever, move on. And you save all of that cap space that you can then throw that money to keep Wiggins, Draymond, and Poole, hopefully. Um, or maybe the other side, you know, the other end of the spectrum, Wiseman plays so well that you decide that you can't afford him. And so you trade him for future assets, um, still clearing cap space and allowing you to keep those three guys. I think the worst case scenario would be he, he plays well enough and seems like he fits perfectly with this team, but doesn't overachieve to where you think that he's worth all of this money, but plays well enough and, and gels with the team that he fits that you don't want to move on from him. And then you're really stuck with, you know, well, who do we keep of those four? Because I think we're, we're both in agreement that you can't, the Warriors are not going to be able to retain Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, and James Wiseman at their current contract rates or more plus or minus their values, like we've kind of talked about. Even if Draymond takes a little bit of a discount or Wiggins takes a little bit of a discount and less Lakeham's willing to pay uh, an obscene amount of money in, in the luxury tax. Yeah. And I, I mean, I would be really interested to see if Wiseman really like ends up producing and looks like he has a ton of potential and Kamingo and Moody break out. Imagine packaging those two guys and getting like a, I don't know. I, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense fit-wise, but imagine just getting a Bradley Beal. Then, like, your top seven, you have seven max guys. Like, that would be nuts. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think, think that, it would ever happen for that That'll reason. never happen. They'll never yeah, trade. No, I, I because Lakeham's all in on the future, right? That was the yeah. whole point. Um, if they if time. they really wanted to bring in a superstar, they would have traded for Durant in this, in this offseason. They would have packaged these young guys and gotten Durant. But Lakeham is so salivating at the future he's happy with the steph terry steph curry clay thompson draymond game core but he's thinking about 10 years from now he's thinking that the warriors are the next spurs dynasty and wiseman kaminga and moody and pool and wiggins are you know the bridge to that future um i think moody of all of those four young guys other than pool is going to surprise most people at um breaking out in this next season just because he's a little bit more 
established. He's got a little bit more of an all-around game. He's not quite as flashy as Kaminga, but I think he's a little bit further along um, in his maturity and his basketball IQ. I think Kaminga has the unquestionable highest upside of any of those guys. I agree. You know, I think, you know, he could be a Kawhi Leonard type, although he hasn't shown, you know, that, that potential quite yet, but just when you look at his size and athleticism and strength and, and just the rawness um, he could, that's what his future could be. And then Wiseman, obviously, you know, he's being compared to David Robinson, whatever, blah, 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 but he could obviously turn into something like that, but how long is that going to take? And then how much do the Warriors have to give up? Like you don't let Draymond Green walk to Detroit to keep James Wiseman because Wiseman might turn into David Robinson because Draymond Green could potentially help you win in 22, 23 and 23, 24. And that's just championships that you're letting go by um, because you wanted to see what Wiseman could be. Um, So I think, I think this is a really important season for Wiseman. Um, And, you know, as much as it hurts to see, you know, a number two pick walk away for not that much, I think, I think you got to take a long look at Kaminga and Moody and they obviously have a longer leash than Wiseman does just because Wiseman, you know, hasn't had much opportunity to play in his first three years. Yeah. The Warriors are really, you know, having the cake and eat it too. So again, it's an embarrassment of riches, both now. Right. Exactly. Here we are talking about the Warriors have too many good players. Who are they going to decide to keep and choose? You know, it's a good problem to have. Um, so. I actually thought for a while they were the dark horse to sign Damian Lillard, or not to sign him, to trade for him. Um, they had the pieces in place. It was before Wiggins broke out, and let me tell you, they really got the better end of Minnesota on that. Wiggins <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about that for a second. Um, Wiggins and, Wiggins, or sorry, yeah, Wiggins and Wiggins Kaminga. and the pick that became Kaminga for D'Angelo Russell, who they couldn't even dump if they wanted to. Right. Um. But in my, I do my mock offseason every year for sports ethos. And not this year, not this past offseason, but last one, when there was all speculation about Dane being traded, I said, look, Dane's from Oakland. It makes too much sense. Like, this is before Wiggins broke out. I said, why don't they do, like, Wiggins, Wiseman, and one of those picks? Because I don't think Kaminga and Moody – or Kaminga and Moody had just been drafted. So I said, want both of them, whatever, for Dame – Clay was out at the time. I said that would be like ideal, but it's like they they don't even need to do anything like that. Like right. they they don't. So yeah, and I think you know my biggest thing is you got to look at the 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 coaching staff and the system. And Steve Kerr is a defense first coach. That's why they're never going to trade for Bradley Beal or Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving. They don't want these or Donovan Mitchell, Colin Sexton. They don't want these offensive first guards that sometimes play defense. They want two-way players to complement Steph Curry. Um, Or they want to draft young assets that they can develop into that. Um, And so, yeah, sure. If you're, if you're, if you're, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth man coming off the bench, yeah, you can come in and be a three-point specialist and score a bunch of points and they can accept that you're not a good defender. Like they, they tried that with like Michael Mulder and other, other guys kind of end of the end of the rotation guys. Um, but they're not going to trade young promising assets for an all-star that can't play defense. Steve Kerr is not going to, not going to play them. And I, I don't see a reason to trade your draft picks when 
you're this good at drafting like the Warriors are. I mean, right. Draymond, everyone knows what was he. I think pick 30, 35. He was an early second rounder. They got Steph at number seven. I think they got Clay at 11. Yep. I mean, Jordan Poole, when they took him, it was shocking that they took him in 28 because he was like maybe a mid-seconds. And they yep. took him 28 at that card. Everyone, I mean, Kavan Looney ended up, it took a few years, but it's just like, it's Kavon Looney at un- number 30. Yep. Yep. That's what I mean. It's like, it's just unbelievable that I'm not big on Patrick Baldwin, I'm not big on James Wiseman. So I, we'll have to see on those two guys, but the greater development, the greater drafting, it's just from top to bottom. I did my, um, my organizational rankings a few months ago podcast. Well, myself and Corbin Ford of the Round Ball Rainbow podcast, we ranked the um, organizations one to 30. I'm like, the factors were like current roster, assets, coaching staff, front office, development, everything. Warriors topped the list for almost everything. I had them number one, hands down. This is before I think they even won the championship. It's just, it's really unbelievable what they've done. And Everyone's mad. Oh, it's a dynasty. NBA stupid. There's no parody. Warriors win every year. Yeah, because they're good at everything. They're just great at what they do. <laughs> like, it's really marvelous to see. I know they had the two off years when Steph was hurt, and then the second year where they lost in the play-in, but without Clay. But that's the only thing that was able to stop them was their health. And you could argue that that gave them the time off they needed to. Um to re- kind of get uh, to refresh, you know, you go out, you get Andrew Wiggins, perfect complimentary player. You build up the hunger again after all of those sustained playoff runs. And then you come back and, and uh, win the chip when nobody predicts you, you know, winning or even finishing really in the top, the top of the West. Yeah. And I said, health, I said health gets in their own way, but if Katie and Clay didn't get hurt against Toronto, they probably have a fifth ring. Yeah. Right. You know, and I think it just speaks to, like you're talking about um, the Warriors franchise and, and having all of this success. It's so hard to have continuity in an organization, you know, the front office, um, the people that you hire, the ownership, the coaching staff, your assistant coaches, your training staff, all of that little stuff matters. And everybody needs to be on the same page. Um, and you have some people with alternative agendas. I mean, the Warriors know this firsthand, the, the 21 years without making the playoffs, you know, being poorly managed, poor ownership, you know, everyone with their own agenda, you draft, you draft guys with all this potential and upside and you trade them away because you want to, you don't want to pay for them or whatever the reasons. So, you know, OG Warriors fans know all too well, the, the struggles and tribulations of, of teams like the Sacramento Kings or the Detroit Pistons or whatever, these franchises that are kind of in the dog days and, and, you know, can really appreciate what they've put together in the last decade of all of this success um, and, and really kind of appreciate what it looks like when everything falls into place and you get the right people who are willing to work together and, and uh, be on the same page to uh, to run a successful business. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Warriors are. Very, very, very profitable and successful business. And they will continue to be. Hopefully. We'll see. That, that's the goal. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the goal for all these teams. So all, all trying to do, even if you're tanking, you're doing what you think is the best for your team at the time. And when you're small, let, let's take Utah, for example. I mean... No one's ever going to sign in Utah. 
I mean, let, let's be honest. No one's going to Memphis Grizzlies, Milwaukee, Milwaukee hit on Giannis. They never would have got that super soft. They didn't hit on Giannis. So this is why teams bottom out to get these picks. You know, they don't have another choice. Right. So, okay. I think I said everything that I need to say. Yeah, this is perfect. This is a good stopping point. Um, this is a really great pod. I think we got into a lot of really interesting topics. We hit on a lot of interesting things, looking at salary caps and projections and what we think the Warriors may or may not do, hitting on a lot of um, questionable contracts that are upcoming in the next few years. So, um, Stephen, it was really great to have you on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, go through this with me. Yeah, thank you for thank you so much for having me on. Um, you guys could follow me at Bird Rights Pod on Twitter. I'm actually doing on Bird Rights thirty team series where I'm going over every team season preview and every off season review. And you know, I'm trying to get a beat writer or a reporter from every team onto my pod to talk about their favorite team. And yeah, again, front office, all those fun things, the front office aspect of the league. That's what I cover. Again, thank you so much for having me come on. All righty, man. You take care. You too. Thank you. And once again, this has been a We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, Sports Ethos presentation. If you haven't already, please give me a follow over at Twitter. That's at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Let's go, Dub Nation, and we'll catch you on the next one.